1: This is 105.9 The Region. I'm Tina Cortez with On The Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. My co-host and our real estate expert is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime Properties. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. Now, according to reports, Vancouver home sales slowed in January, and it appears that it was all about the lack of inventory. Do you expect the same to happen here?
2: I do, and and you know it was the lack of inventory, but also the snow. And Vancouver had a lot of snow as well. Uh, we had a lot of snow, record snowfall, and that took about a week out of uh, people going out and seeing houses or being able to let people in, just because of the the volume of snow that we had. And so I think those were the two contributing factors. Drilling down, if we look at York Region, Tina, in January of twenty twenty one, we had twelve hundred and eighty eight sales. And there was 1,566 active listings. Now, if you remember last year, we were talking about how little inventory we had to start off the year. And 1,500 units is not enough for York Region. Looking at January 2022, Tina, we saw 928 sales take place in York Region. So that's almost a 25% reduction over last year's sales. And we only have 870 properties on the market in January 2022 or at the end of January 2022. So when you consider we were short at 1,566 and now we have 870, we can pretty much deem this a crisis right now.
1: So how do you get out of the crisis? Because you don't see it getting any better relatively soon, do you?
2: No, and even if we start building right now, it's Mm going to take a year, two years, three years for us to even get uh, the benefit of those home starts. So right now, we pretty much have to look outside of the boundaries of York Region, outside of the boundaries of Toronto. I mean, Toronto didn't fare that much better at all. With Toronto in January 2021, there was 2,659 sales. And, you know, the active inventory at that time was 3,416. And that was just above one month inventory, which is very low to start with. And a normal market is three to four months of inventory. Fast forward to 2022, and January had 2,259 sales, but the inventory drop The inventory sits at 1,894 units right now for all of Toronto. And that is, you know, it's a drastic drop even from last year. And we thought last year was bad. So, you know, the two contributing factors seem to have been snow and the lack of inventory. Hopefully, we don't have the the same types of snowfalls moving forward in February and March, but the inventory, you're right, there's no quick fix to that.
1: So then walk us through what it's like when a listing does come on the market, whether you're a buyer or a seller, what is the scenario?
2: What we're seeing is uh, people are lined up to get into the property. From the minute it hits the market, and you know we've had to limit people to thirty minute showings. some Some people have had to limit their listings to fifteen minute showings. Now, think about this. People are spending fifteen to thirty minutes in a house deciding that that's their house that they want to purchase, and then going in without conditions to purchase a property. I, I mean, that's how ridiculous it's become. and Without supply, this is the norm, and it has to change. We, we need more supply. We need more construction uh, starting immediately, and that's up to the municipalities to lower their, their requirements for the builders to get their permits approved. And once we start seeing supply, I mean, this has been going on since 2015, and that's why there's no quick fix to it. But we can certainly change it over the next five years. And if we start building enough properties over the next five years, then at least our kids have something to look forward
1: to. And what advice do you have for that panic buyer who feels like he's got to jump on whatever comes on the market, no matter the price?
2: And there's a lot of buyer panic out there right now. There's, uh, there, It goes in little circles. So there's buyer panic... And he starts scooping up any property that comes up thinking, no problem, it's a fixer-upper. I'll, I'll just get into the market right now, and I'll fix it up later. And then there's buyer fatigue. It's all the people that have been losing out offer after offer after offer. And they just sit on the sidelines and say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to wait this out, and hopefully this goes away. But then they see prices continue to climb, and you get back into that buyer panic mode, and you start buying properties again. So it's uh, you, know, you have to wait until you find the right house. Don't try to just get into the market and settle. I, I know that's a, a really tough pill to swallow right now for buyers because they see the prices climbing week after week and, and sometimes day after day. But the important thing is wait for the house to come up. And if it is the house that you love and you're going to be there for a long time, then you go all in because... The thing with real estate is it's time in the market. So as long as you're going to be there for 5 years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, that equity that uh, you may think you're giving up right now, you're going to build that back.
1: You said go all in, but how do you know you're not going all in and over your head? You have to
2: stay within the constraints of what your financial institutions and your and your realtor are recommending. You know, quite often people will say, you know what, I, I will just pay whatever for that house and we almost have to rein them back and just say listen like this house will appraise for around this value and even if you overpay a little bit that's okay but I can't let you go in that high and you know unless someone has sold a house and they have a lot of money sitting around or uh, they're being helped by the bank of mom and dad there's not a lot that they can do when an appraisal comes in a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars short you have to come up with that cash and Otherwise, you're going to lose the deal. But not only that, you're going to get sued. So you want to make sure that you're going in with an educated offer rather than just a blind bid.
1: Now, what about in terms of rates? We know that they're expected to rise come next month. Do you think that will slow things down? Will it change anything in the industry immediately?
2: it does slow things down because of the perception of a rate hike. As soon as people hear rate hikes, they think now things are not going to be affordable for me anymore. However, when you break it down and you see that the rate hike may have you paying $40 or $100 or $150 extra per month. And, and the other thing is, you know, you're being qualified at 5.25. So if the bank is qualifying you at 5.25%, and the rate's going to go up to maybe 225 or 2.5%, there's still a lot of cushion. The bank knows that you can afford this property. So there is a comfort level there with the stress test to say, even if the rate goes up you know, two times this year at a quarter point each, three times makes that a total of 0.75%, you're still qualified for way more than that.
1: All right. After the break, urban sprawl, the housing crisis, and the impact of the pandemic. That conversation is coming up. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show on 105.9 The Region. Over to my co-host Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties with today's guest, Asif.
2: Thank you, Tina. Our guest today is Professor Roger Kyle from York University's Faculty of Environmental and Urban Change. Welcome to the show, Professor. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Professor, in your recent study, you say that urban sprawl, specifically vertical sprawl, can be as much of a problem as houses spread horizontally. Tell us what this means. Yeah, it's a bit of a provocative um,
3: idea because, you know, normally people don't think of sprawl as being vertical. They do associated associate it with high-density uh, development. Uh, and we, made, we created this idea and did some research around it in order to... Uh, to dispel the polarization between this notion that sprawl has uh, what we normally consider horizontal sprawl—the uh, uh, when the development of uh, the space that is being used, the land that is being used outpaces the uh, development of the growth of the population—which means you have sprawl into the landscape, into the countryside—to dispel that as the you know the the, the main problem. Uh, Vis-à-vis the densification of, uh, of certain parts of the city, which we now have in southern Ontario, in so the growth machine of the, the growth plan, uh, in particular areas of the city that are considered uh, an antidote or uh, a remedy for that sprawl. So we said, when we look at what is being sold as the remedy here, the you know densification, uh, may just as uh, carry as many of the problems uh, or some of the problems that are supposed to be solved by uh, that particular policy. So vertical sprawl uh, as the uh, solution to horizontal sprawl needs more scrutiny. We need to look at it and see what it does and how it does it.
1: The notion of vertical sprawl is certainly starting to take hold here, but where is the concept or where does it have more history?
3: The idea came from Hong Kong, uh, which you can imagine is sort of a symbolic place of a high-rise-based, dense uh, urban development. Uh, That's where it first was used. Um, The backdrop of this is that through the last 20 or 25 years, urban scholars and practitioners around the world have proposed uh, to increase densities in uh, mostly inner cities, uh, a lot, in order to create uh, a different kind of urbanism than the one we had since the Second World War, which was based on suburbanization and uh, sprawl.
2: Now we're starting to see we're starting to see a lot of vertical development in York Region. You know, mainly Vaughan, Richmond Hill, Markham. But your your study was focused in Brampton. Tell us why mm-hmm. Brampton. Well, Brampton
3: is one of the most dynamic cities in Canada. It's uh, you can see a lot happening in Brampton that is uh, symbolic of or indicative of developments elsewhere in the country, and particularly in the province of Ontario. Uh, it's a it's a city that has a high um, uh, population growth rate and uh, uh, a city which is actively attempting to uh, deal with uh, the challenges of uh, the growth mandates in. Uh, given by the provincial government here in the, in the province of Ontario. So it's a good case study. Um, it's a dynamic place. Uh, it's a place that where uh, we can see that a lot of the things that we see around the country are happening in one place. Uh, immigration, population growth, uh, high influx of, uh, of, of investments, but also, which is one of the things that we're interested in, that my... A uh, co-author, Murad Cholu has uh, written this dissertation about, which is the financialization of housing and what we call, what he calls, the debt regime around which now the Ontario economy is built.
1: And so, can you share with us some of your findings of this case study?
3: Yeah. So, um, in the first instance, uh, we we demonstrate that you you cannot look at. Uh, what uh, we consider sprawl in the outer regions of uh, the Toronto area—that uh, that, that sprawl, uh, as we have seen over the last few decades, can be solved easily. Uh, or that, that the problems that that this uh, this development has caused can be solved easily uh, by turning things around and creating just more density. Uh, the, the 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 fact that we've had suburbanization over the last few decades uh, has had to do with, with uh, uh, the fact that this uh, growth model that suburbanization was built on was meant to create more housing space for uh, a growing population in the post-war decades. It was built on uh, a growth model that had to do with Ontario being one of the industrial powerhouses uh, in North America. Uh, jobs were created, factories were being built, infrastructure was being built, and housing was being built in the suburbs. That growth model collapsed in the 1990s. Uh, We've had large scale deindustrialization, but the growth didn't stop. We continue to uh, suburbanize, we continue to uh, build out rather than up in many parts of the province, many parts of the Toronto area. And Brampton is uh, one of those places that have grown from a small town, a village, a small town uh, after the Second World War to now one of the largest cities in Canada. So the finding here is that when we are now, uh, try, you know, looking at what uh, what the needs are that we have in this province, which is we have a housing crisis, which was also intensified through uh, the the COVID pandemic when a lot more people were looking for larger houses, uh, often on uh, the, the margins of the city, um, that uh, this housing crisis is ostensibly be, uh, supposed to be solved by more growth, by more building of uh, um, real estate, of, of housing. And uh, the case study shows us that uh, the, the, this growth model um, doesn't uh, produce the kind of housing that is affordable and accessible to the majority of families uh, that are moving into the region uh, without taking on a huge amount of debt. So this is basically uh, the the flip side of this growth, is that it's built on uh, a huge amount of consumer debt uh, in the housing sector and that we find is a danger not only to the consumers in the housing sector who cannot find accessible and affordable housing, uh, but it is also, in the end, uh, going to be uh, a problem for the economy
2: overall. And real estate has always been a driving force behind the Ontario economy, and if you look at the 2019 numbers in your report, we're looking at between real estate sales and new construction Almost twenty percent of the gross domestic product came from the real estate sector. How did the pandemic affect it? And uh, you know, how, how much more of the GDP did that uh, contribute to?
3: Yeah, I don't. I, I I can't say, and I don't think anybody can say right now. Uh, you know, what uh, whether we are going to continue to have this kind of growth uh, of the percentage proportion of. Uh, the real estate and housing sector, and the building, uh, the construction sector, uh, because of the pandemic or through the pandemic, we'll have to see how that pans out. But what we already know is that we have a red-hot housing market, but that red-hot housing market uh, doesn't seem to be serving the people that are most in need of housing. Uh, We have a huge homeless crisis. We have uh, a huge uh, demand uh, of lower-income families that cannot afford housing as property, and the majority of uh, that housing economy, that, that the, the product that is being built in that red-hot housing economy or the houses that are being sold and resold in that economy in the existing housing stock, the majority of that is uh, out of the reach of uh, those people who are mostly in need of housing. That includes young people. We have heard many times that uh, younger families now cannot... Access the housing market. Uh, I'm not necessarily a defender of housing as property. Uh, I think we should have less um, uh, reliance on housing as property, and we should have a robust rental market. Uh, but it is a sign of the crisis that we are in, and that has been exacerbated through the pandemic, that we now, uh, you know, have a, a problem of access. For large parts of the population, and uh, what that does in the future is, of course, that you create uh, a two-class society. You could create people, uh, you create one side of society which owns a property that is worth a lot, and other people who cannot have access to that property. Which, in a in an environment where property of housing Uh, you know, real estate is linked to Social Security because people, that's a mistake, people think that they can live off uh, that uh, property when they get older, that they have something uh, to give to their children uh, when they pass. Those kinds of things will not happen to those people who don't have access to that kind of housing, which means that we don't just have a crunch right now. We actually create a long-term uh, system of inequality in the regional uh, 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 in the regional uh, society that we live in.
2: And professor, you mentioned that the crisis that has come from this uh, is, is the main cause for uh, unaffordable housing. Do you see this continuing through 2022, or is there some relief in sight?
3: I don't think there's any relief anytime soon. Uh, part of it is, I mean, we are. Some people say that's a different topic. That's not part of our research, but some people, of course, have uh, raised the alarm about a potential bubble that we're in. Uh, That's a different different, uh, problem altogether. Uh, But our markets are overheating uh, and the housing prices don't seem to be capped at any time soon. Uh, So I expect this to continue. Uh, I also have... Seen very few um, lessons being learned from the pandemic, where we have spoken about uh, you know vulnerable people being vulnerable to uh, the virus is just one example of uh, a health concern around uh, places that are overcrowded, people living in two, uh, places that are too overcrowded, expensive, and that is not a question of whether they live in high-rise buildings or in in single-family homes, overcrowding can happen uh, in a variety of different contexts. Uh, So we haven't seen a solution to that. Um, And uh, so I believe that the... um, We haven't seen political proposals that would take that up and say, here, these are the kinds of things we need to do to put an end to this financialization. We had a federal election. We will have a provincial election in Ontario next year. I haven't seen politicians come forward to say, This is what we would need to do uh, to cool down uh, this overheated, uh, financialized, uh, private uh, property-oriented growth model. Uh, So I don't think the end of 2022 will bring us anything different. Uh, It will sort itself out over this decade, maybe, uh, but it may take a while for this uh, to either collapse as we have seen it in the early 1990s, late 1980s, early 1990s, or uh, to uh,
2: take a different bank, but the end of 2022 is not the time at which this will change. Professor, thank you for that great information and also for your time this morning. If our listeners want to read more about your report, where can they find it?
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you can find this on the website of the Faculty of Environmental and Urban Change at York University, and uh, just type in euc.yorku.ca and go to the news uh, stories on that website, and you'll find the links to our papers. And if not, just send me an email at -at rkeil.yorku.ca. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. When we come back, your real estate questions. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show on 105.9 The Region. Time now for our listener questions, and this first one is from a threesome in Vaughan. They want to pool their resources to purchase a new-build condo. What are the risks, the benefits, and perhaps the legal pitfalls of such an arrangement? Asif, what's your advice? Well,
2: I mean, this is a great way to to get into homeownership, and it's to pool resources. We've seen that uh, with people cohabitating Uh, in order to live in a house or or purchase a house. So you've got uh, a couple of people getting together to to buy homes. But for investment properties, it it is also a good idea because it helps with the affordability of the investment property. You're pretty much guaranteed to make money on it depending on location, style, and and what you're purchasing. And the only thing I would say is have an exit strategy because with two or three partners in an investment property, You all need to be on the same page. How long are you going to hold on to this for? If you're going to sell, what's going to happen? And what if one person doesn't want to sell? What if only one person wants to sell? So these are all things that need to be addressed before you go in and sign that paperwork, because it's usually things that people don't think of. So suppose one of the parties decides that they're moving out of town and they need their money to purchase something out of town. How does that affect the purchase and the investment? Is, uh, is it possible for the other two partners to buy that partner out and keep that property? Or do you have to sell that property? There's so much to consider, so much to think about. And uh, I would say, consult with a lawyer, have your exit strategy in place before you go in to purchasing a condo.
1: And at the meeting with the lawyer, do they go through all of these various scenarios? I would say, yeah, the majority of them. And, and maybe the lawyer could even
2: suggest them and, you know, one of the lawyers said to me once uh, in, in purchasing a business, he said, These are things that people don't consider when they're starting off, but they're things that always come up during mm-hmm. the process or after the fact. And then people start scrambling and then there's bad feelings. So as long as you have everything addressed and you have that exit strategy in place, you're not going to have those hard feelings when uh, push comes to shove.
1: All right. Our next question comes from Randy in Thornhill. She wants to know if she should consider a condo investment out of province since condo prices in Toronto and the 905 are out of her reach. Asif.
2: I was, I was, uh, we had a, a round round the country little roundtable type of show a few weeks ago and mm-hmm. we had a few people on from other provinces that were telling us about pricing of condos and you can get condos for $200,000, 400000 uh, in other parts of Canada. So. Most definitely, it's a great way to get into the housing market. It doesn't have to be in the immediate area that you live in as long as you have an investment that has a, an upside. I would recommend it and there are some great deals when you look outside of the greater Toronto area or the the greater Vancouver area. There's some great deals out there in, in the country.
1: But what about further out of the province in terms of um, northern Ontario, for example? Is that a better option than completely leaving the province?
2: Yeah, and and when you're leaving the province, there's other rules and and regulations Mm. that you may have to meet in order to qualify for it. But if you're staying in Ontario and and you want to go northern Ontario or eastern Ontario, again, there's some great, uh, great properties. Durham region has some good properties that are way more affordable than the GTA or the city core. Uh, You've got uh, Simcoe County. There's there's so many properties coming up, even York Region. York Region has some really good deals with condos and huge upsides as well.
1: Now, what about in terms of if you are going to invest out of the province, try another province, how do you connect with an agent that you know, that works well with you, that knows what you're looking for, that can help you find that perfect neighborhood, especially when you're not familiar with the area.
2: Uh, another great question, and what we've done is we've connected with agents across the country, and, and there's a, a a group called Cross Canada Referrals that we use for our clients because these are all agents that we've vetted, we know them, or they've dealt with our clients before and uh, we've had great success with them. So there, there are groups like that that are out there. This one is Cross Canada Referrals, and it is a, you know, a collection of the top agents from across the country that are ready and willing to help.
1: You are always such a resource. As a reminder, you can send your questions anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But Asif, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that?
2: Can reach me at 416-985-CON,
1: 416-985-5426. If you missed any part of On the Market, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez. Thank you for listening.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.